guys have changed a bit from expository, line-by-line preaching through a text uh, or a book of the Bible to more topical uh, in nature, where we've been searching Scripture to see what God says about money and about giving and about wealth. And it's been exciting to see how God is using this series in our lives. I really like what Dan Celia said in his book, The Fear of Money. He said, in many ways, money is a symbol of our life's daily effort. Think about your life. Many of you are working people. And uh, by your, what you do with your time and what you do to earn an income The money that you have and the money you spend is a reflection of your daily life. There's a lot of truth to that. But when it comes to money, there's a lot in the Word of God that talks about it. And uh, and what I want to do, I want to highlight just a couple verses. We're going to come back to these next week. Um, But Ecclesiastes 5.10 talks about money. It says, whoever loves money never has money. Very interesting. 1 Timothy 3.3 says that that if you want to be uh, quality and have the quality of righteousness in your life, you cannot be a lover of money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money is the root of all, help me out, evil. Right, you know that verse. Hebrews 13.5 says that we are to be free from the love of money. 1 Peter 5.2 says not to to be greedy for money, but to, to be eager to serve. And I say that because this series, even though we say it's about money and giving, it's really not about that. Someone asked me, why are you doing this series on money? It's not about money. The truth is, money is connected to our hearts. We talked about that. In fact, we said it is all about the heart. Everyone say that with me. It is all about the heart. It affects everything in our lives, whether you know it subconsciously or consciously or subconsciously. We also, when I answer the question, why this series, it's an opportunity for us to teach about some biblical stewardship, understanding what God wants to do with our lives and understanding that God owns it all. Everyone say, it is all God's. And this is the foundation that we started with. And then we've been building on that. We spent two weeks talking about tithing. And we said the first week that tithing is a test. That every time you receive an increase in your life, whether that's a paycheck or a dividend or if it's a, uh, a gift of some sort, who are you going to honor? Who are you going to worship with your increase? And so there's a test. Week in and week out. Also, we talked about first fruits and relating this to our tithes. Who is going to be first in your life? Now, we know that this topic, it is personal. It is difficult for some to, to discuss or difficult to get our mind around. And a lot of churches, they will just not talk about it at all. And then there are other churches that talk about it and take it to an extreme where it becomes manipulation or this this get rich quick or to give and to get and really becomes toxic. And my goal is to bring a balanced biblical view to what God says about money. And we want to do that week in and week out. We've got a few weeks left. Interestingly, Jesus talked a whole lot about money. And so we're in good company. 16 out of 38 of the parables in God's word talked about money. God's word is packed with scriptures on money, on giving, and on wealth. 
And this series is not a get-rich-quick series. So if you're here and you thought that might be the case, you're in the wrong place. This series is intended to challenge all of us, every single one of us, young and old, to change our mindset and have it line up with God's Word. What does God's Word say about money? And is my mind set in agreement with that? I believe we can change our mindset even if we're set in our ways, whether we're young whether we're young or whether we're old. One of the resources I've been using is the uh, Legacy Journey by Dave Ramsey. Great book. And they're talking about this mindset change. Uh, in his uh, third or fourth chapter, he talks about a winning attitude. This is what it says. It says, what makes a bigger impact, he's asking the question, what makes a bigger impact in your ability to win with money? Your income or your attitude? What do you guys think? Oh, you guys are good. You probably don't even need this series, right? <laughs> you guys are doing great. Many people over the years have told me all about their debt and their inability to save. They have often said things, Dave, if I only made a, a little more money, then I could, and then they fill in the blank. Well, sometimes that's true, Dave says. He says sometimes you need uh, to make a little bit more money, but more often than not, the problem is not your income it's your attitude. Everyone say attitude. He says, I can't tell you how many times I've talked with couples who say things like this. Dave, thank you for what you teach. We're doing so good. We have no debt, a, full, a fully funded emergency fund. We've got 200000 in 401k for our retirement, and our kids' college is underway. Everything is awesome. And when the, Dave would ask them, well, how much do you make a year? That's one of the things he asked. They'll say $40,000 a year. And boy, he recognizes that's a great job. I think all of us would agree. But then he takes two steps to talk to someone else, and they'll say, Dave, we need your help. We've got $50,000 in credit card debt. We owe $80,000 in student loans. We owe $30,000 on our cars. We have no money in retirement, no savings for an emergency. Things are terrible. And then he'll ask the couple uh, how much they make, and they'll say something like, $80,000. How is this possible? How can one couple win with $40,000 and another couple be losing big time making $80,000? The answer is not a math problem. If it was just math, then the couple with twice the income would be doing twice as good. Isn't that right? But it's not. It's a problem of contentment. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to address this contentment idea and this other idea that has emerged that I believe is really incredible. Craig Hill, in his book, talks about it, uh, that the meek will inherit the earth. And, uh, and we're going to talk about contentment and meekness in regards to our finances. And we're going we're gonna to get there. But this morning, I want to remind you, last week we ended by asking the question, is God first, Right? Do you honor, do you trust, do you respect God with your money? And the truth is, many do not honor God with their finances. In fact, the majority of Christian evangelical believers do not. And you say, well, why would that be? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Fear, for certainly. A lack of trust. Discontentment, for sure. But I believe there's a huge four-letter word, that word is debt. Remember the week one when the series, we talked about debt. We looked at the average credit card debt for an American is $15,600 average. Wow. 
Average mortgage, 156000 Average student loan, 32000 uh, in total, Americans, consumers owe $11.9 trillion in debt, $884 billion, these are huge numbers, in credit card debt, $8.2 trillion in, in mortgages, $1.8 trillion in student loans. And you put all this in, this is the society we live in. This, many of you are a part of these statistics, many of us, I should say. And the problem is not a mathematic problem, like Dave Ramsey says. And I'll tell you this, too. It's not that there's a lack of resource either. The truth is, it's a spiritual problem. There is a spiritual component to the way that we handle our money, the way that we view our money. There's a spiritual component to that. Now, if I had a dollar bill, which I don't have any cash on me, but if I had a dollar bill, there's nothing spiritual or non-spiritual about the dollar. It's amoral. It's a, it's, uh, uh, there's nothing uh, evil or, or spiritual about it. But the way we handle it, the way we uh, view that or even think about it, there is a spiritual component. I believe there's a real spiritual battle in our society and within our church, if I can be so bold to say it, where the enemy is convincing people strategically to enslave themselves to him. Satan's plan is for people to love money. To love money. But before you dismiss this idea saying, oh, well, that's, that's probably true for some, the love of money is subtle, it's very tricky, it's sneaky, and it's seen many times when people find themselves in big debt. And debt has become so completely normal in families and churches and states and the nation. Did you know that our national debt, the U.S. debt, is $18 trillion? You say, how is this possible, right? How does that happen? What is the root behind this indebtedness? How can we overcome this spiritual enslavement? And I believe part of the answer is that we must break the spirit of mammon. And some of you are saying, what is mammon? How many have heard this word before, mammon? If you read through the Bible, King James Version uses the word mammon. Well, the word mammon is only used four times in Scripture. And as I was studying this and getting my mind around this idea, I was uh, studying uh, one particular pastor. Uh, his name is uh, Robert Morris, and I uh, really enjoying his material, reading through the blessed life that he has, and he's got a chapter on breaking the spirit of mammon. And I was sharing this with a friend of mine uh, that is a pastor in Grand Haven, and he says, you know, uh, you ought to see if you can get the rights to show Pastor Robert, Pastor um, Rob, Robert Morris, uh, sharing on this topic. Because I'm not sure there's anyone that uh, gets their mind around it like he does. And so we contacted them. I knew I was going to be away this week. And uh, we have arranged, and uh, they've given us permission in high def, by the way, and, uh, which is great, instead of just streaming it. And they've sent that to us. And what we're going to do over the next few moments is we're going to go into the ser a service that Robert Morris is preaching on this topic. And I want you not to just disconnect. I want you to really pay attention because at the end, we've mentioned in this series, we really want to ask the question, Lord, what are you saying to me at this moment? Holy Spirit, how can I respond? And my guess is today, 
even though it's going to be a difficult message to hear in some ways, I believe God has got a word specifically for each and every one of us. And so without further ado, here's Robert Morris, the Gateway Church. This is in Texas, not in Grand Haven. Here we go, or Spring Lake. <laughs> and I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16. And that's the only passage I'm going to ask you to turn or click to. Um, but just however you do it, just go to Luke chapter 16, and uh, we're going to talk this weekend about breaking the spirit of mammon. Breaking the spirit of mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N. Uh, it's a word that's in the Bible only four times. Uh, Jesus, as we know, only used it three times. One of the times it's in the Bible, it's a repeat. It's in Matthew and Luke, but it's the same sermon. So we're going to look at it in Luke so that we'll see all the times that we know of that Jesus used this word, all right? Luke chapter 16, look at verse 9. Luke 16, verse 9. This is Jesus speaking. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That's the first time we see the word. That when you fail, they, I just want you to remember the word they, not it, they, so it's talking about the friends, may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, it's the second time we've seen it, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And then verse 13 is a repeat of the verse in Matthew 6. No servant, no, I, no servant, not one, no person, no person. This is very important to understand this. Uh, Matthew said this way, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. And that's the third time we see it, and again, that's a repeat from a verse in Matthew 6. It's from the same sermon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, this is the only phrase like this in the Bible, that where Jesus contrasts serving God with something as, as, as uh, uh, clearly as he does. You cannot serve. You cannot do it. No one can do this. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, since he said that, we need to know what mammon is. So I have three points for you today. Here's point number one. They're actually all three questions. What is mammon? What is mammon? Most people would immediately say money, but, but the answer is so much deeper than that. Uh, mammon is an Aramaic word, which means riches. Uh, but it comes from the Syrian god of riches. I don't believe Jesus was simply referring to riches. I think he was referring to a false god that they knew. The Syrians had a god called Mammon. And it was the god of riches. Now let me tell you where it came from. It actually came from Babylon. A lot of people don't know where Babylon came from. If you just look at the very first part of it, Babel. 
Babylon came from the Tower of Babel. That's where Babylon came from. And if you ever want to know what the word Babylon means, just say it a little differently and a little slower, Babylon. You ever know anybody just babble? Okay, never mind. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't nudge anyone or look at someone right now, you know. But babble means, actually means confusion. You know, someone just talking, you don't ever, you, don't, you can't follow them. You don't know what they're talking about. Babble, the word babble means confusion. When you add the suffix on, on it, it means sown uh, are planted. So the word Babylon means sown in confusion. It started in confusion. The Tower of Babylon, the Tower of Babel, was the, a system that they believed that they didn't need God. They could get to heaven on their own, their own energy, their own work could get them high enough to get to heaven. That is what the spirit of mammon is, that we don't need God if we have riches and money. It is a spirit that contrasts itself with the spirit of God. It is a, an arrogant, prideful spirit that tries to replace God. When you think about this, it's, Jesus said you, you can't serve God and mammon. In other words, mammon is looking for servants. Mammon wants to rule in your life. Mammon wants you to look to it instead of God. And here's the problem. Many of us actually grew up looking to mammon and we didn't even know it. And, and Jesus makes this statement. You can't serve both. And he, he says, you will be loyal to one and despise the other. Now I want you to think about this. There's a message today that that's we, we call the prosperity message. It's basically giving you'll get, giving you'll get, and, and you know, God wants to to bless everyone with lots of money and a Mercedes and a Rolex. And uh, the problem with that message is that it actually works selfishness and greed into your life instead of out of your life. And the problem with that is it's a mammon message. And here's the problem. You become loyal to that. Now here's what happens. When people buy into the prosperity message, what happens then is that when something breaks or something goes wrong in their life financially, they despise God. They get mad at God. And here's the reason they get mad at God or despise God, because they're loyal to mammon. Jesus said if you're loyal to mammon, you'll despise God. Mammon wants to take God's place. Mammon actually promises us everything that only God can give us. You think about it. Mammon promises us identity, security, significance, uh, happiness, joy, all these things only God can give. Listen, only God can give peace, love, and joy. Only God, mammon can't. Mammon can never deliver on its promise. Mammon wants to rule. You can't serve God and mammon. I'll tell you something that might shock you about mammon. Mammon is the spirit of antichrist. And I'll prove it to you by a very simple verse that all of you know, but it's shocking how many people never put this together. The spirit of antichrist does not rule through the threat of nuclear war. The spirit of antichrist rules through the threat of not being able to buy and sell. That's mammon. If you don't bow to me, if you don't take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to provide for your family. 
See, it's a contrast. All through, all, all, all through our lives, mammon is trying to get you to bow to mammon, serve mammon, worship mammon, and Jesus is saying, no, God is the only one that can provide everything you need. God is the only one that can provide identity and security and peace and happiness and joy and love. Only God can. But mammon says he can. Mammon will say, you know, if you had more money, people will listen to you. Significance. If you had more money, if you had the right credit cards, if you had the right clothes, if you had the right car, if you had the right house, if you had more money, you'd be happier. If you had more money, um, you, you, you'd have a better marriage. If you had more money, here, here's the big lie. If you had more money, you could help more people. Listen to me very carefully. Money doesn't help people. God helps people. But notice the contrast. See the contrast? Money, okay. Look, look, here. Jesus never told anyone that he needed more money. Never did a leper, never did a lame man, Never did a blind man say, have mercy on me, son of David, and Jesus turned around and say, oh, you just need more money. <laughs> Not once. And I'll tell you again how it contrasts. Just, just to show you how we've all been influenced by the spirit of mammon. We've all had this thinking at some point or another. I either need God to come through or I need someone to give me some money. And if someone would give me some money, I'm okay, God. My problem's been solved. I don't, I don't need you because I got money. Are, are, are you following me? I can remember one time my, um, I borrowed my dad's boat uh, when, we were, when our family was younger. We have a boat now, but when our family was younger, uh, my dad had a boat. Never used it. I think he kept it just for us, you know, for the kids to use. And I'm grateful for that. But he got a brand new boat. I borrowed it. We're on vacation. Something started beeping. Uh, the beeping bothered me, so I got up under the dash and pulled the wire out. <clears throat> this is something you do when you're young and stupid. <laughs> it was trying to tell me something. It was trying to tell me that it was low on oil. But I kept driving, and we burned the motor up. Brand new motor, $4,000. I said to my dad, Dad, um, I'm, 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 this is my responsibility, and I'm going to take care of this. I, I will figure out a way to take care of this. And I said, this is my problem. I'll take care of it. And you know what my dad said to me? Son, you've never had a problem. I will never forget this conversation as long as I live. I said, what do you mean? He said, son, if money can fix it, it's not a problem. And if money can't fix it, God can. He was telling me right then, it's, money's not the answer to your problems. Son, God is always the answer to your problems. So that's mammon. Mammon is this spirit that tries to influence us. Here's question number two. Is money evil? Is money evil? Because Jesus said unrighteous mammon. Well, what he's talking about is a spirit. It's a spirit. I, let me just say again, mammon is a spirit. <laughs> uh, if, if mammon's not a spirit, how come it can talk? Because you, 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 try, you start to give an offering, and I'll bet you'll hear voices. 
Mammon is a spirit that rests on money. I don't know if you ever thought about it. Can I tell you this? All money has a spirit on it. It either has the spirit of God on it or it has the spirit of mammon on it. All the money in your account right now either has God's spirit on it or the spirit of mammon. And the way you get God's spirit on it, according to Scripture, is you give the first 10% to the house of God, and God redeems the rest out from under the spirit of this world, which is the spirit of mammon. Why would you want the spirit of mammon on, on your money? So money money's not evil. Money's neutral. You can do good with money, you can do bad with money. People say, well, but the Bible says that money's the root of all evil. It's not what it says. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, in other words, they got under the spirit of mammon, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Here, here's what I think he's saying. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon. Loving and serving mammon is the root of all evil. Now, look at this verse because it's strange the way it reads, and a lot of us don't understand it. Verse 9 says, and I say to you, this is Jesus talking, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Okay, I have to admit to you, when I first read that as a new believer, I totally misunderstood it. It's, you know, I'm thinking of unrighteous mammon as just money, not, not a God or a spirit of greed. And, and I, so it said, make friends with money. That's what I thought it meant. So I thought it meant, you know, do uh, favors for other people, and then when you're in trouble, they'll, they'll do something for you. You know, that's what I thought. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, take this unrighteous mammon and redeem it by giving the first to the house of God and use this Use the money that Satan uses for evil. You use it for good, and you use it to build the kingdom of God, and people will get saved. They will become your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And it says when you fail, this word fail means die. It means when you die, when you expire physically. Listen, and when you die, they, these people who've come to Christ because you gave to the kingdom, listen, will welcome you into your eternal home. <laughs> That's what he's saying. In other words, there are gonna be people in heaven that welcome me that say, I'm here because you gave. I know that a missionary came and brought the gospel to us, but I found out, because when heaven said, we're gonna know things, I found out there were 47 people that supported that missionary, and you're one of the 47, and if you hadn't supported that missionary, I wouldn't be in the kingdom today. That, that's what he's talking about. See, God is the only one who can take unrighteous mammon and turn it into souls. True riches. That's what true riches are. Um, when I first got saved, um, if you remember, Debbie and I were married before I got saved. And um, when I got saved, I wanted to witness, but I just, just, just couldn't quite do it. And, and was shy, if you can believe that. <laughs> And um, so uh, I got over it, but I, got, I was shy. And uh, so I remember when I found tracks. Now, I don't know how many of you remember tracks. How many of you remember tracks? Tracks were like little books that shared the gospel story. 
And I thought, see, I came out of drugs, so I thought, this is cool, because tracks used to be when the policeman said, okay, roll your sleeve up. And, <laughs> and I thought, wow, I don't know who came with the name of tracks. Must have been an ex-addict, but I, that's great. That's great. Going to share the gospel through tracks, you know. So, so anyway, so I would get these tracks, and I'd leave them on tables when we would eat. You know, I'd leave the tip inside. But nobody ever said anything. And so I remember thinking to myself, I'm, I'm just not leaving a big enough tip. And so I've talked to Debbie about it. We prayed about it. We saved up. We did not have enough to do this. We left a $50 bill in a track one time. Our meal might have been $10, you know, and a $50 tip with the track. We go back to that restaurant a few weeks later, and this uh, lady that waited on us came up. She said, I've been waiting to talk to you. I read that little book, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And she said, and I called my husband and read it to him over the phone, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And I got so excited, but I remember her, her wording struck me kind of oddly. I said, what do you mean you called your husband? I mean, was he at work or was he at home? And she put her head down and she said, he's in prison. Can I tell you something? I'm gonna meet that guy one day. And he's gonna say thank you for the $50 tip. Because I got saved because of that. By the way, a few years later, he got out of prison, and Debbie and I had the honor of, of seeing him and his wife get baptized, <laughs> simply because of that. See, what I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you is that God can actually take our money and turn it into souls. It is amazing. You can give to the church, and God can turn it into souls. It's phenomenal. So money is not evil. Here's the third thing, question, what should I do with my money? What should I do with money? What should I do with money? Uh, well, let me just give you an answer is be a good steward with what you have. Just be a good steward with what you have. Now, here's what some of you might be thinking. Uh, Pastor, I have too little of this unrighteous mammon to be concerned with this message. <laughs> if I had more then I would probably be taking notes and listening very intently, but <laughs> this just isn't, isn't really helping me, okay? Uh, listen to me lovingly. If that's your way of thinking, that I have too little to be concerned with this that Jesus taught. Listen, if that's your way of thinking, you never will have any more. Uh, verse 10 says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Please hear me. If you have a little and you don't tithe, you'll never have much. What God does is we all start out with a little and he sees if he, if he can trust us. And if he can trust us, he gives us more, and he gives us more, and he gives us more until we get to the level where we can be a blessing to our family and be a blessing to others, whatever that amount would be. But if, 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 if you're not faithful with a little, you're never going to have much. Uh, verse 12 says, and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Now, there are a lot of applications for this, but I just want to give you one application, possible application. 
Remember, we've talked for a couple of weeks now about the tithe, and I know God owns it all, but according to Scripture, He's reserved the tithe. He said, it is mine. It belongs to me. I've set it apart. Don't touch it. If you take it, it's stolen. It's consecrated. It's holy. It's set apart to the Lord. Okay. If you've not been faithful in what's another man, who will give you what is your own? Is it possible that one application of this verse could be, if you're not faithful with the 10%, who will give you the 90? If you're not faithful with the tithe, which belongs to the Lord, who's going to give you more? Please hear me. This is so important for us to understand. It's, it's like I said last weekend, God's testing us. A few weekends ago, two weeks ago, God's testing us to see what we're going to do with the first 10%. And then look at verse 11. This is the last scripture we're going to look at. It says, therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? Okay. Well, what, what are true riches? Well, I can tell you, it's real simple. True riches are people. Uh, if you looked around this room, in whatever room you're sitting in, whatever campus or church you're attending, listen to me. You look around this room, you're seeing the only thing that's going to last for eternity. Not the bodies, the souls. Souls, they're the only things going to last. When I was in college, we had this guy, he's kind of radical, you know, and, uh, uh, and he just had this little saying, it's going to burn We would drive by like a really nice house, and you know, we were in college, we'd say, look at that house. He'd say, it's gonna burn. <laughs> well, he was right. I mean, it's all gonna burn. Heaven and earth is gonna be destroyed. I understand that. <laughs> but it really is true. It's all gonna burn, except for souls. Souls last forever. Yeah. Let me say it another way. Heaven is being populated, and hell is being plundered by our offerings. That's why it's so important for me to give and why I see it as a spiritual act because when I give, people are getting saved. God is taking what was unrighteous, mammon. I've redeemed it by giving the first to him, and then as I give offerings, he's turning it into True riches. True riches are people. Um, when Ethan, my son-in-law, and Elaine, my daughter, started dating, uh, Ethan came to me and talked to me first, and I set up guidelines, you know, for him. And, uh, and because I wanted to see if he'd honor me. Here, here's the reason. If he wouldn't honor me, he wouldn't honor her. That's for some of the young men here. And so I, we t I brought him in, we talked. I also showed him my gun collection, by the way. Uh, but, um, but I gave him some rules to follow and some things, you know. And then after a few months, and he did it. He did everything right. He did everything right. He did everything I told him to do. So after a few months, I gave him the, the uh, okay to start dating. And so one night there at seven, our young adult group, and they're standing around talking with a group of young adults afterwards, and they were talking about what it would be like to date the pastor's daughter, you know. And it's Ethan and Lane and seven or eight other young adults, you know. And uh, it was funny because uh, one of them said to Elaine, you know, your dad is so strict on tithing 
I'll bet he checks the tithing records of the guys that want to date you. <laughs> and Elaine, Elaine said, he does. <laughs> and when she said that, Ethan went, uh-oh. <laughs> and Elaine said, what are you saying? You, you told me you tithed. You told me you tithed. What are you, what are you, what are you saying uh-oh for? And Ethan said, well, there was one time I was one day late. And he explained to her, you know, uh, she said, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I would always do my tithe. I'd get paid on Friday. So at work, I would go online and do my tithe. because I didn't have internet at home uh, because it cost so much, and he's a real good steward. And so said, I didn't have internet at home, so I would always do it at work on Friday when I got paid. But one Friday, I didn't go to work. I didn't have to work that Friday. I had to work Saturday. So I did it on Saturday, but I've always regretted that my tithe wasn't, you know, every Friday, that it was one day late. And they got to laughing, and they said, oh, to Elaine, they said, your dad's not going to notice that. And Elaine said, yes, he will. <laughs> so they said, why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? So she came home that night, and she said, hey, Dad, uh, did you check uh, Ethan's tithing record? I said, yeah, I sure did. <laughs> she said, well, was everything okay? I said, there was one time he was one day late. <laughs> And the next time we meet, I'm going to ask him about it, by the way, too. Okay, but why, why wouldn't I check the tithing record of a young man that wants to date my daughter? Let me say it another way. Why would I give my daughter to a thief? If he can't even handle money, I mean, he definitely can't handle Elaine because Elaine is a handful. <laughs> He's not going to be able to handle her if he can't handle dollars and cents. But let me say it another way. She's my only daughter. She's priceless. Why would I give true riches to someone that can't handle unrighteous mammon, can't even handle money. Well, let me say another way. Why would the heavenly Father, who has all power to bless you, why would he bless you when you don't steward what you already have? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to just release the churches that are watching us by simulcast right now and turn it back to uh, whichever pastor is going to take the service right now. And I want to say to you, what's God saying to you? We say this every week. Every weekend. We just take a moment. Don't, don't let this become religion or ritual to you. Please don't do that. I want you to really take a moment with the Holy Spirit right now Please, just take a moment, no matter who you are, just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? Ask him. And he might not fully elaborate all he's saying. He might take the rest of this week to talk to you about it. But tell him you're open. That you want the spirit and the stronghold of mammon to be broken in your life. The quickest way to break the stronghold of mammon 
is to tithe to the church. That's the quickest way. Quickest way to give the first 10% to God. We, we want to pray for you. We want to minister to you. If, you. if you need prayer for any area of your life, in just a moment, we're going to have a worship song. We're going to have our altar ministry team at the front, in the front of every campus and every overflow room. So now, no matter which campus you're attending or if you're in an overflow room, if you need prayer for any area of your life, we'll have one more worship song. During that worship song, you, you just come. In a moment, we'll all stand, and when we stand, you just stand up, step out, and come. Come to the front, wherever, whichever campus you're attending, and let us pray for you. Let us minister to you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person at every campus that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you enjoy that? That was good. I think Robert Morris has a, a pretty good grasp on this idea that I wanted to communicate anyway as I was studying through his book. And, and uh, so, so thanks. I know it's a different type of way to receive information, but uh, we've really been praying. I've been praying that this would not just be a head knowledge, but it would sink down into our hearts. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, I've been praying that God, through this series, would get a hold of our hearts and that he would change us. He would change our mindsets and what we, maybe where we once were uh, uh, living more towards uh, the way of the world in regards to our finances. God would help us to understand in a larger capacity what his plan is for each and every one of us. And as I was uh, through this series, I've, I've got lots of great feedback, a, a few criticisms, and that's okay. But, uh, but one of uh, a gentleman here at the church last week after we talked about first fruits, um, he came up to me and shared a testimony. And as he did, I, I said, would you be willing to share that next week? And, uh, and so I've asked Jim Emery to come. And uh, I was sharing with him where we were headed. He was familiar. He was one of the ones that was familiar with Robert Morris. There's only a handful of people that had uh, seen Robert Morris or heard of him before. But uh, share with me or share with uh, the folks what you shared with me last week and whatever else is on your heart there. And this is what happens when you say yes, I guess. Um, I guess, uh, first of all, I am so thankful for a pastor that loves us all enough to share a tough message like this. And I apologize for trying to do this without getting too emotional, but I am blessed by this family. So anyway, um, just a couple quick notes. Uh, first thing I wanted to touch on was the blessing of extra because the only reason I could share this story was God's blessing. Um, I've worked hard. Um, God's always blessed that. But I got to a point where if you do a little extras, you, extra comes. And um, through God's principles, he's blessed Marlene and I greatly, um, financially and other ways. Uh, we're not the richest people in the world, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I had got to the point where I could set a little aside here and there, and I had a can, and um, it continued to grow, and I used it for, I'd use it for blessing people, I would use it for, if I heard somebody needed something, if Jim decided he wanted a new fishing rod, and it was, it was set aside, it was set aside, it was extra, it wasn't really, um, 
It went, and there again, I believe it grew because of God's blessing. Um, but God takes us through seasons in life, and in one season we saw that, uh, you know, the economy was a little slower. The job, the extra jobs weren't there quite as much. Part of it was because I got to the point where I'm like, oh, I'm a little tired. I don't need to work as much. The can that was always full started to shrink. And at first it was like it'll just a little feeling of, ah, there'll be more. And it'll be, you know, it's always done well. It'll, it'll continue to grow. It'll come back. It finally, it, it shrank and it shrank and it shrank. And it was down to the point where it was just, it was skinny. And... It was at that point that when I would open that can, I'd get to, you know, I wanted a $20 bill to go have a, you know, lunch with my wife or whatever, and um, I started to feel something tugging at my heart in a bad way. I was like, I, it was fear, it was a little anxiety, a little fear lack for a better, probably, probably was it. And... God, you know, God really, I believe, started to speak to me. I didn't hear it at the time, but I hear it clearly now, especially after we had a chance to really think about sharing this. And, uh, and it came to the point is, who was I trusting? And I had actually got to the point where I was trusting I can. It was from God. It was God's provision. It was blessed by him. That was the reason it was there. But my trust was gotten to be where it was in that can. It wasn't in the blesser. It wasn't in who gave it to it. So finally, I had to get to the point where, I mean, it would, I, and I really believe it was a test. No more came. It came to the point. There was a day I took the last ten one-dollar bills out of that can, um, and that's where I really had to let go of the draw. And that's what I wanted to share. What I was trying to share with Pastor is that the spirit, and I don't believe that. I don't believe that that money that was there was, I believe it had been redeemed. But the enemy was trying to use that draw, that spiritual draw, to put my trust back. And when I emptied that can and stuck it back in its hiding place, and I haven't touched it since, and to be honest with you, the money's come back. I just haven't been willing to put it back in the can because I'm not so sure that I want to have to go through that again. But I am thankful for the opportunity to know, and that's what I wanted to share, is that the draw that's there and trusting, I don't have to trust that can, I don't have to trust that money, I gotta trust the God that gave it. Appreciate it very much, awesome. Give him a hand. You know, I believe that God is the owner of it all, and to have that type of perspective, even through a lesson of you know, these funds going down to nothing and then putting the can aside, I think is really powerful. It shows where your heart is. And every single week, we're kind of coming back to this point, it's all about the heart. And this morning, my question to you is we've, you've experienced a probably average introduction. Saw a pretty good message, I think. That was really great from Robert Morris and just a fantastic testimony. But what is God saying to you? Not what is God saying to your neighbor, but what is God saying to you through this message, through this time together? And then the question is, is are you willing to respond and let God work on you in areas. God could be speaking multiple things to different people. And, it, and I know it's a tough subject, especially for me. I've shared openly at different times. I struggle 
with materialism. I still, at times, I, I, I can get wrapped up in stuff. And I, even on the missions trip, uh, one of the highlights for me this past week was uh, we were sorting clothes that I felt was garbage. And that is the honest truth. I thought, what in the world are we doing? Who is going to want this stuff? We're sorting early in the week. Well, on Thursday, I think it was, we did a yard sale for free in this apartment complex community with hundreds of, of apartments. And people were going through, and I couldn't leave these tables helping moms find clothes for their kids. What size? What would they like? What would they... My, the back of my neck got burned, but I, I just was compelled. And God was working on my life. Because sometimes it's stuff is where I get my identity. And you might too, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one. But, and, and so this message, it's multiple layers. There may be some people here that just flat out aren't trusting God. There may be others that are just need a little tweak here or there. But what is God saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying? That's what we want to acknowledge. And so this morning, we've created some time, and we've run a little longer than normal, but we want to give some time to respond. I've asked Pastor Bobby to lead us in one more worship song. It's a song we did earlier that just talks about how God, He, he takes us, or that everything that we have is His, even our breath. And I, I love that picture. But before we do that, I'm going to ask that everyone would stand right where you are and close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just want to ask a question, and I know this is not salvation uh, message this morning, but if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, and you're ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you just to lift your hand right where you are, and we want to pray with you. Who this morning is God calling and wanting to, uh, to get your relationship with Him restored uh, or maybe established for the first time? Is there anyone here this morning that wants to rededicate or establish that relationship? Just slip up your hand right where you are. Anyone at all? Just looking, just give you a second to respond if that's you. All right. Unless I missed it, I don't see any hands, and that's okay. But if I can have your eyes on me just for a second before we respond, I'm going to ask that you would respond however the Lord wants you to respond, okay? I, I get that. I don't want to twist anyone's arm. To, but sometimes stepping out is important, and I just want to encourage you that if the Lord is dealing with you on this topic or any topic at all, I mean, you can come pray about anything, but would you respond to what the Holy Spirit, would you join me? in responding to what the Holy Spirit is sharing with us this morning. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you, God, that in this moment, God, you can continue a work that you've started in my life and in the lives of those that are here. Help us, Lord, to respond appropriately, God. We thank you for your word and your challenge this morning. We give you our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord.